is there a better way? Really, the future is how do we take the best of a PLG motion with all the value you get from a sales-led motion? How do we build this organization, this product with a customer-led motion in mind? All right. Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Customer-Led Growth Podcast. Today, I am pleased to welcome two great go-to-market leaders. Uh, I've known these gentlemen for many years and uh, really excited to get them on the pod today to share how they are thinking about putting the customer at the center of the buying process. And so first, love for Brendan to introduce himself. Brendan, welcome to the pod and uh, what you working on? Yeah, Olivia, thanks for having me. Long time, long time listener, first time caller, I guess they said. So I'm Brendan. I'm currently, I started a company called Journey. We're building a new storytelling medium for sales and marketing teams to create amazing buying experiences for their customers. So this is extremely relevant. I've been working on it for two years. Prior to that, I was the head of uh, business at Quora. All right. That's awesome. I know that uh, we did some business together when I was at Metadata. Uh, we had a, a great way to, uh, you know, core audience was wonderful. And we found a way to, you know, push our, our audiences into Quora and, and generate amazing results for our team. So good to catch back up. And thanks for joining us today. James, what up, dude? What's up, guys? Happy to be yeah. here. What what are you working on? I like I've been seeing pictures of you like, you know, roaming through Asia and South America. How did you find time to join us today? Yeah, I, I had a few months off to do a little sabbatical, had an amazing trip through uh, New Zealand, Australia, Southeast Asia, Japan, and uh, South America. So that was life-changing and something I've been looking forward to for 10 years. And while I was on that trip, I accepted a new role as the head of marketing at Telescope Partners, which is a smallish VC slash growth fund that focuses on B2B SaaS. So I joined to basically just help their portfolio with marketing. Okay. All right. What type of companies um, is Telescope investing in? And, uh, you know, I'm just curious here um, as to like you know what the listeners will be able to learn uh, based on the the types of companies that you guys are are currently um, helping. Yeah, so Telescope's very sort of agnostic when it comes to industry. As long as it's within B two B SaaS, we don't do any B two C stuff. But we generally just look for nice, efficient businesses. We find stuff oftentimes in sort of unsexy industries that. Uh, maybe overlooked by traditional VCs. And one of the things that a lot of our founders share is that they all are generally looking for sort of a different experience with their investors. And we like to be very involved, which they appreciate. And it's not necessarily right for everyone, but people that have accepted investment from us definitely love that kind of interaction and level of input that we have. Yeah, I love VCs that bring value post money being sent. So that's great. Awesome. So, Brendan, I'm really keen to better understand, you know, why you came up with this company, this product, the Value Prop, and uh, I'd love for you to share with us, you know, what is your go-to-market motion? Because when you are, you know, founder of a company, you kind of got to figure out pretty early on, like, I'm going to go to market either sales-led or PLG. Those historically have been the only two ways. And so, can you share with us, like, why you chose to go down a specific route, and what is that route? Yeah, absolutely. So I came up with the uh, the idea for Journey with my two co-founders, actually, probably when we were talking at Quora. Um, ultimately, 
Um, I had been on the buying side of a lot of software at Quora. They kind of, um, CEO and the founder of Quora was, the, the company was very engineering product, data science heavy, not many, not a, not a big business team. And one of my mandates, funny enough, was if doing these build versus buy analysis for software. And one of the mandates was, if you can run this process and have our internal team spend the least amount of time possible with the sales person at this other company, you've done a good job. So that just meant I had to spend uh, a lot of time with salespeople. Um, and I just felt like, you know, we were pretty technical buyers and there was just endless meetings and gated information. Things just took way too long to make purchases. And I get it. These purchases were 50K, 100K, but I just felt like we could condense that process if the seller had some medium to help me as the quote unquote champion, you know, kind of just sell internally uh, in a less chaotic fashion. So we productized, I, I, I started building out Webflow pages essentially for these vendors to help me sell internally with all the different assets that these companies are sending me. Because, you know, we've all been an enterprise sales process. It becomes a endless myriad of long emails with lots of links everywhere, attachments all over the place. The seller's multi-threading with 10 people at your company and they're getting the same things. And it just, it's chaos for that champion who's really the one that's closing the deal internally. Like the seller can only do so much. So, and you know, long story long, but we, we built the, the, uh, these web flow pages and they just helped us make decisions faster as a team internally. And then I flipped it, gave it to our sales team at Quora. We were selling ads. So it wasn't the ads and data. And, you know, the, the light bulb for me was like the prospects just really liked it. Um, the prospects liked the experience of spending less time with salespeople. And I think like light bulb moment, obviously, I don't think anyone wants to spend more time with sales. But I think what are you talking are, about? We're super fun. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, one percent of uh, sales definitely is super fun. Uh, but I think the idea was just that, you know, how can you, you know, create a, a seamless buying journey, if you will, to help both sides get business done faster. Um, and that led to us, you know, actually me leaving Journey and teaming up with two former, um, you know, co-workers to, to actually start a company. I think Brendan had a good point, which is that maybe there is a subsegment of salespeople that buyers actually like interacting with. You know, I've actually sort of like remained friends and contacts and like in a professional setting with a handful of sales buyers that I've interacted with over the last 10 years. It's obviously like a pretty small percentage, but um, I do think, you know, when you have a great sales rep and they're adding a ton of value and they can really, you know, push you in the right way, that's great. But obviously the vast majority of interactions you have are not like that. And I think one of the things that makes this a lot worse is there's so much like LinkedIn content around how you should educate your buyers on the benefits of the software. And like, I kind of rant about this fairly frequently, but I think it's really important for sales reps to meet their buyers where they are. Meaning like, if I have a bunch of expertise in this area and I've purchased a software like this 50 times before, 
please like ask good discovery questions to understand how much I know about this space as opposed to just regurgitating, you know, some product marketing messaging. So that's just a pet peeve of mine. But yeah, like, you know, some sales reps like Olivier, they're great. We hang out, we still keep in touch, but not everyone's like that. Yeah. And I think it's becoming harder. I mean, the environment right now, uh, you know, I've been at this for 20 years is by far the hardest it's ever been to sell anything. Even if you have like a great product, people are interested, you know, you have so many different stakeholders that are part of it. And the CFO's job essentially is to say no, you know, unless you can prove easily that, you know, you got great ROI um, metrics for your customers and here's how you're going to get value and so on. But it's super time consuming. And so, you know, I think it is great overall for sales reps to be less involved at the top of the funnel and, you know, early in a sales cycle, because, you know, you're going to have to do so much work when you get to the one yard line. And that's going to be the hardest part. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. So Brendan, can you tell us, like, how do you guys, you know, go about, you know, engaging interests in the market? What are the tactics that are working for you guys right now, uh, given you guys are a new, new startup and you're, you know, having to deal with this economic climate? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think when I started the company, just the, the premise of it, you know, I wanted to live and die kind of by the product. Like if we, if people aren't, if we're not doing a sufficient enough job of, you know, driving demand into the product, getting people to use the product and then kind of coming to them with a point of view on how they should maybe be using the product for their specific use case uh, or to achieve a specific goal, then we're not, you know, we're not doing our job. So we don't, we're very much a product led growth company. Uh, we, um, I think we do a pretty good job of uh, ingesting a lot of signals about what people are doing in the product and then coming to them with really helpful, specific tactical information if they're an end user or if they're a DM with a, a whole different message. But our, our North Star metric is if someone receives a journey and doesn't sign up, you know, from that journey or share it with their team, with their sales team, then we're not doing a good, a good enough job. So that's kind of how we go about it. And, you know, we, we use a lot of the, you know, the standard channels to do content um, and to drive demand into the product. But we also pay attention to a lot of product growth loops and creating loops that, um, that drive our, our entire distribution um, you know, I think times are, are, uh, as you said, times are really, really challenging right now. And, um, we are, we're trying to, you know, probably to a fault meet the buyer where they are, like when, when they're already in the product using it, uh, we don't, we don't do any like cold outbound today. Okay. So in terms of conversions, like what are the conversions that you care about running this PLG motion? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, the, our funnel is getting people to sign up, getting people to create a journey, getting people to share that journey, making sure that it's shared with at least three prospects, and then understanding when it is shared, the downstream metrics of from those shares, are we generating signups from the people that are receiving the journeys? So, you know, in short, our, our North Star metric is like journeys created daily that get views that get prospect engagement. Prospect engagement means means that our customers are getting the dopamine that they want. Their, their customers are engaging with their content. And then, you know, there's 
there's other data flows of like, is this helping us close a deal or, or whatnot? Um, so things like that. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. James, how are you, what type of companies are you currently working with and, and what are some of the struggles that they're, they're feeling? Um, and if you could, you know, maybe structure the, the answer in a way that our listeners can understand, are they a sales led motion or are they a PLG motion? Uh, because obviously that, you know, it's a very different, uh, type of engagement for a buyer. Yeah. We have a, a pretty solid mix of PLG and sales-led companies in the portfolio. And I think one of the things that's really interesting across a lot of them is just making the sales-led motion work with PLG. And I have maybe a slightly controversial take on this topic. Like I, I'm maybe more of a PLG uh, hater, I guess you could say, than a lot of other people. I think it's obviously like, an incredible way to do business if you can pull it off. But I think a lot of early stage companies just aren't in a position to pull it off and it ends up being a huge distraction for them. And so I think that's actually like one of the things that excites me the most about some of like things like Testbox, for example, where you're exposing enough of the product to like give people a chance to interact with it, but you're not necessarily just throwing them in and expecting them to sink or swim, like it's still more integrated with the overall approach. I think it's really hard to, you know, take, especially when you have large inbound volume to set up the operational flows and the heuristics and all of the things that you have to do to make that motion work. And I think people underestimate that a little bit where maybe they would have been better off for the first few million and there are just doing a traditional, you know, request a demo motion. Yeah. No, I, I do agree. I mean, you know, the, the drawbacks of the PLG is, you know, the conversion to paid, right? Many of our customers here are, are, are struggling uh, with a free trial to paid conversion rate. So, Brendan, what are you doing on that front to ensure that, you know, um, you're not, you know, sub 10%, which a lot of PLG companies are. What are you guys doing to ensure that, you know, you can convert them to paid customers? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the the first thing is like we are – we're trying to keep our free to paid at a, a certain level before pouring any dollars on like hardcore growth and distribution. So, you know, when we, you know, when we, when we get users into the funnel, we are, you know, automatically understanding like exactly who they are, what they're doing, how can we help them achieve what they're trying to achieve in the shortest amount of time possible in the product, but also we have humans that are there to, you know, reach out to them with a very specific message of adding value for their day, whether it's a seller, whether it's a CS person, whoever's in the product, whether it's a founder. So we have a mix of, I would say, like scaled CS um, tactics that we use and then a, a lot of in-product hopefully helpful things that help them get to the promised land. For us, the promised land is create a journey, share it within your first session. And then within the first 24 hours, you're getting prospect engagement on that. Can I, can I ask you a question about that real quick? Yeah. So did you intentionally, because I think one of the challenges I've seen a lot, both at companies that I've worked at and companies I've advised, they don't have good event logging within 
the product and the code base. And so it actually ends up being way more challenging to do sort of timely and interaction-based triggered workflows or messages or playbooks or whatever right. you want to call it. Totally. Is that something you guys intentionally did early on was said, like, we're going to capture really good data for user interactions throughout the product so that we can jump in at the right time? A hundred percent. I mean, I think the, like, you know, we, we've been using segment like us three as founders for probably 10 years at multiple different companies. So we know it pretty well. And like, even when we had, you know, a hundred users in the product, we were, we were probably capturing way too much information about them and spending our time. So like that was, that was like step one in our go to market. Like my, you know, my pipeline, so to say, is not this rigid demo, like discovery demo proposal. Like my pipeline is informed by segment pretty much. It's like, you know, someone comes into the product, they create a journey, they get to this next phase and it's all kind of automated through what's happening in segment. Um, and now since we have, you know, we have one or two people that can bomb in on people with, you know, relevant things based on who they are. But I think it's, it gets, it gets harder as your product grows. So you're, you're, you're probably dealing with companies who are at a later stage than us trying to think of, think through this. And, you know, if you haven't set it up from, from early stages, I can see it being quite, quite challenging, but that was like step one. And even thinking about our go to market kind of after we got the initial hundred users or so. If the listeners don't know what segment does, can you um, articulate, you know, uh, what they're solving for you and, and uh, what other solutions in the market might be doing something similar? Yeah, I think like to put it plainly, like segment allows you to capture every inter every every event that a user is taking within your application and send that data to other applications. Okay, like uh, would a walk me app queue kind of thing be similar or? No, I think so. So the, I think like, you know, Zapier could be another kind of more hacky way to do it. Um, but ultimately like user comes into your product, they take an action you want to capture that action and maybe send it to your CRM as a opportunity, and then you want to create a task off that for your, you know, for your your seller or your CS person. Segment is kind of the source of truth for that interaction and all those events. Amplitude is actually doing it now too, so I would say Amplitude is becoming a competitor to Segment, Mixpanel products like that, where essentially it's product analytics essentially is what uh, we're, we're talking about there. And I think it's, it's like, it's crucial for any product led company to even have a, have a chance at doing this, you know, marginally well, you have to have that set up, you know, pretty in a pretty pristine way. Yeah. We use Mixpanel here. We're not a PLG company at this point, uh, but we do help PLG companies, you know, increase the conversion rates by offering more of a, a sales insights where the sellers get insights into like, here's what they care about. Now, James, what type of advice do you give to your portfolio companies when, cause you're a marketer. So what's critical is like getting that aha moment super early on and salespeople can, you know, do that in a way they can tell people that, but the, best way to do that is to experience it yourself. And uh, if you're doing a free trial, you're basically like, you don't know what you're doing. 
right? There's, there's very few trials which will guide you where there's data in there and like they'll guide you and you have to like do so much work up front. So what is your guidance with companies that are trying to like, you know, give those prospects and buyers the aha moment super early on? What, what advice do you have for them? I, I, it sounds kind of cliche, but like the basics are still super important and people probably underinvest in them. Like being really tight on your ICP and your messaging is still kind of the best thing you can focus on for a long time because if you can't, if you can't figure that out and nail it really well, it's impossible to give them the aha moment because you don't actually know enough about what they care about and what problem they're trying to solve for. So I think a lot of companies really struggle a lot of early stage companies just everywhere struggle with like being really committed to a given segment of the market. And then they struggle with messaging because of that. Cause they struggle with like, you know, how do we sound specific, but not exclude these people. And, and oftentimes you just have to be pretty committed. And if you try to be everything to everyone, it doesn't work. So being very narrow in your focus and having segmented messaging, you know, I think the cool thing is with all this tech, like, you can build different interaction flows pretty easily using some sort of like IP lookup or even if you're just enriching their email with Clearbit or ZoomInfo or something where you don't have to like capture a ton of data to have different routes into the product or in different flows, like whether that's a different video for a certain segment or test box type thing or like one of those click-based screenshot examples. Just getting really segmented with the messaging is the only way to make it possible to get someone interested in the products in the first place. Yeah. And if you have different stakeholders, they should get a different experience based on, you know, their KPIs, what they're measured on, right? And I see this all the time. We help companies with that as well. You know, you have an IC individual contributor or you have a director, you have a C level, they all care about different things. And so, you know, making sure you do have that content, I think is critical. But two, the experience in the product when they jump in should be based on what they care about. Otherwise, you know, conversion rates are going to be much lower because it doesn't affect what is top of mind for them. So Brendan, are you guys creating a new category here or is this an established or new, I think it's gotta be like fairly nascent category here. So, and who are the stakeholders that you guys are, are working on helping? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I would say, I mean, just to, like, I think ha- having started a, this is the, the, the first company that I've started and I, I just a note to the listeners, I think product marketing is like one of the hardest one of the hardest things to do as an early stage company, I'm sure James is pretty busy with all his portfolio companies, but I never realized like how, how hard that is, even with the, and it's, it's, it's uh, accelerated with the explosion of PLG because by nature, a lot of PLG companies are horizontal and like you see a lot of users doing different things in your app and it, it kind of gets chaotic. Uh, so you really, I, I, I think you're absolutely right, like niching down and like really segmenting your messaging to a few different personas. Like we're a perfect example and to Olivier's question. We we have a couple key stakeholders. Like our end user is an account executive at a B2B company, about 25 to 250 employees is pretty much our sweet spot. Um, so the person buying the product is like maybe a director of sales or a VP of sales or a CRO. 
but we also have lots of you know CS folks as end users, and then we have a lot of founders that use the product. So the three end users are AE, CS, and founder, but the use cases are very different. It's like running a running a sales process, like doing a deal onboarding a customer in CS, and then the founder is fundraising. Like, they're entirely different. Um, and so we, um, you know, we argue a lot internally about, like, who's, who, who wh- where do we do it the best? Who should we focus in on? Yeah, the uh, the segmenting the messaging is super important. The category that, we, that like, well, you know this, Olivia, G2 threw us in digital sales room as a category. I really hate that term. Like, why? Why do you hate it? Have you? Does, does, did you think any prospect wants to hang out in a digital sales room? Like, do you think uh, as a? I mean, what's what's the, the the keyword search? Like, is there search volume for that? In, I mean, in I, Google? I think it's 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 definitely picking up. Uh, it's not. I wouldn't say this is like a gangbusters blowout category yet. I think I think every sales team will use something like this in the next five or ten years for sure. Um, but it hasn't blown up like, you know, product-led sales platforms or interactive demos. Like those have really blown up where like you get you get serious, I think, you know, pretty serious search volume and things like that. But, you know, there there is a there have been, you know, 20 companies in the digital sales room space that have, you know, either raised funding in the last year or two. And then you have the sales tech behemoths who are, you know, call it Gong, Clary, Outreach, Zoom Info, Sales Loft, starting to think about how they play in the game. So, Oh, wow. So you guys are going to have to compete with those those unicorns that have been at it for a decade. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I think it's it's compete or who knows what their what their approach will be in terms of partnerships and things like that. Yeah. All right. James, uh, what's a piece of advice that you'd have for marketers today, right? It's the end of June. 2023. No one's buying much of anything. Uh, people are still getting fired on a weekly basis. So, you know, what, what's your advice for like a marketing leader that, you know, is trying to figure out how they can drive more pipeline at the top of the funnel. But, you know, good quality pipeline is, is what, you know, uh, you need to drive right now because obviously you don't want to have your reps who are now limited in terms of amount of time they have because there's just fewer of them. What's your advice to a marketer that's trying to figure it out as to how to drive pipeline at the top of the funnel? I think the the biggest thing for step one is just getting really dialed in on the company financials and like the company strategy. And I don't think that's something that enough people pay close enough attention to. Um, oftentimes, like I think it's easy, and I, I've certainly been guilty of this mistake in the past. Like it's easy to be just thinking about marketing. I think if you can act as a true business partner to the board and the CEO and understand, you know, what's our cash position, where do we feel like there's opportunity? Is there, you know, is it better for us to wait a few months to deploy some of this because there's things outside of our control that are happening in the market where, you know, sure, you could try and put all of this Sisyphean effort into generating pipeline now and, you know, maybe that's the right move, but also is it like if there's seasonality in your business, does it make sense to actually wait a couple months to deploy some of this, which I think goes into my second point, which is getting really tight on your modeling for pipeline by month and by quarter. I think when you do an annual budget or even a quarterly budget, 
it's easy to say, okay, we need to deploy this much over the span of a year, um, as opposed to taking into account the fact that different investments in your marketing budget have different time to close. So conference and trade show leads might have a six to 12 month cycle between like lead capture and interaction to closed one, whereas something that's much more bottom of funnel, like a competitor keyword search or your category keyword search on paid search, that's probably going to be twice as fast. So when you're doing your modeling exercise and budgeting and trying to figure out, you know, when is, when is this stuff going to impact the actual ARR goal? Um, make sure you're factoring in sort of like the time investment in these different channels. So Brendan, you grew up as a, a sales leader, right? What has, now that you're a co-founder, how have things changed for you? How do you, are there ways that you think about things differently than you used to when you were really just focused on revenue, hitting targets, leading teams, hiring, so on and so forth? Like what has changed for you in your day to day and how you think about growing a business? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think since starting the company, I've had a, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but I've had a newfound just respect for marketing and the importance of marketing and I think in when I was at in you know uh, you know at previous companies, um, you know I I, I I might not have I thought I knew more than I did I guess, um, and I think like honestly I, I take some of the cues from like what you guys did at at metadata like I think at metadata you guys put like marketing was was clearly a priority for you when you ran that business, and I think uh, it's just I, I would I would. Uh, I would have I would have put a priority on marketing like from day zero versus I think we like it's just naturally you start you know firing up like how you're gonna reach out to customers and you know from a sales perspective and I think um, my my mindset is completely shifted to you know being focused on just generating interest you know based on the the, the things that our ICP cares about from a marketing perspective and I think if we do that well. I think we'll get people sufficiently excited to try the product. So, so that's like my, my piece of advice is like, I would, I would have put a priority on marketing before sales actually. And then as a co-founder, what's on the flip side, like what's something that you're like have to deal with now that, you know, you're not as excited about. Uh, I mean, I think it's, you gotta be kind of a somewhat of a psychopath to start a company. So uh, I think the, you know, just, you know, we're a team, we're, we're a small team, but team of 12, you got to keep people motivated, engaged, challenged on what they're working on. You know, also, um, you know, having to, you know, keep people excited, even though, you know, things might not be going super well, you know, I think, you know, but being real with people like, you know, we, we, we have, we, we were, you know, fortunate enough to raise enough funds to be able to take a bunch of, bunch of bets, but, we're not in a luxurious position. Like we have to like prove real results, you know, we're not like staying at the Ritz We're we're more of like Motel yeah. 8, maybe better than Motel 8, but like. But those, like, I, I keep going back to startups, right? And so there's obviously something that's up with the type of person I am where I just, you know, collect it for punishment here because I just keep going back to it. But it's fun. Like when you can like make quick decisions and make bets and like, it's easy to get excited and like I love to like build teams and like it's us against the world and you know we have something amazing and like those are fun but it is it is draining. That said, like 
you know, the fact you guys are getting traction in this market and you're doing something in a, a new space where buyers are, you know, not as keen to talk to salespeople and we need to basically figure out ways to arm the sales team in giving good value when they do engage with those prospects. And so if you can do it in this environment, like you guys are going to be teed up for success down the road. But, you know, again, uh, as long as you're passionate about what you're working on, it, you know, the journey is going to be fun to an extent because once you get bigger, and I've been at huge companies in the past, like it's not nearly totally. as fun. Totally. Uh, there's just so much red tape. Totally, totally, totally. <laughs> James shaking his head. Have you worked at big companies? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, tell us about. I worked at a couple. My first job was at Seagate, which was Fortune 500. That was talking about a big old school company. Um, Legacy, yeah, hard drives, real sexy industry, but. Uh, and then after the brand folder acquisition, I was at Smartsheet for a little while. And yeah, I'm, I'm definitely much more of a startup guy than a big company guy. So what do you guys think about leveraging AI in either your go-to-market motion or inside your product, right? Everyone's talking about AI and, uh, you know, it's the beginning. So you know, a lot of our listeners are, are curious as to what they should be thinking about either on the go-to-market side or even adding AI capabilities to products. Well, we'll start with Brendan. What, uh, how do you think? Yeah. About I mean, it's, we've been, we've tried to not follow the hype uh, and hop on too quickly, but we have been working on bringing, how, how can AI help make the job easier for our end users? Um, and we've just started to ship a lot of things. So like, I, I think it's a, it's an absolute kind of game changer for a lot of the workflows that our users um, go through on a daily basis. Like, you know, we're essentially, we're trying to make a salesperson a pseudo designer. That's a really, really hard task. Salespeople are not designers, but their prospects expect lots of beautiful things from them. So AI helps to really take away a lot of the journey creation. So we've started to see journeys just kind of build themselves for salespeople, which takes out 90% of the lift. And then another piece is prospects are busy. They don't always engage with, with content from, from sellers. You know, we've now started to see a lot of interesting use cases where the prospects can talk to content. If you get a 10 page PDF from that's inside of a journey or a video that's inside of a journey, you could just ask journey, what summarize this in three bullet points for my boss. So, I think like on the flip side, it's helping both sides for us in really, really big ways. And I would, I would, my advice for founders out there that are thinking about this is like, just make sure that it's actually, you're not just following the hype and it's actually helping your end users when you're incorporating the capabilities into your product. But I'd be really hard pressed to find a product that isn't using something around AI that helps their end users. It would be, um, I'd probably be a bit scared to be working at that company or so that use case where you can basically summarize let's say somebody you know sends them a white paper or whatever in a little summary the issue that i'm seeing with ai is that people don't know what to do right because their brains haven't been trained on like oh here's the type of questions i should be asking ai right and so what i was thinking um i love giving advice to people that don't ask for it and i would love to see like an apple-like type of marketing campaign by you guys where you're showing people like, this is how you use it. Right. Um, because that would be like a aha moment of like, Oh snap. 
and I can go and try this for free right now. Like, I think it would be a really effective way for you guys totally. to drive awareness. Totally. I, yeah, I totally agree. Um, we, yeah, we suck at marketing, but, uh, we, that's why we need, maybe I should get James as a, as a, an advisor, but I totally agree with you. Like, I think the, the power of this stuff is, is insane. It's really hard to see it from, you know, landing on a website though. So I, I agree with you that, that I think there's some interesting things we're going to, you know, do in that vein in the next couple uh, weeks. Yeah. And then, you know, like HubSpot did a great, great job with HubSpot University, right? And uh, drives like, you know, a gazillion people to their website every month. And many of them, you know, go into strike, you know, trying out their marketing automation tool on a freemium and so on. And so if you guys can build something like that, you know, Journey University or Journey U or something, I know metadata, we did that as well. It's just a great way to give away free guidance on, on how to do your job better. But then two, you give them access to a tool that can help them. Um, and as long as you don't give away too much of your product for free so that you can easily convert them to those cool features, I think that, you know, that's a really effective way to go. James, what are you doing with AI right now or what are your, Partco is doing with AI. Yeah, I'm subscribed to probably 10 AI newsletters at this point that I try to... Which one's the best? Uh, honestly, they all kind of blend together. I, I don't know. They're all... None of them are significantly better than the others. They're all just sort of like roundups okay. of news and, and some tools to check out. I think the core use cases of GPT-4, anything that doesn't stray too far away from that, so like summarization text generation. And I think that actually sort of the dark horse use case that I'm a big fan of is the data analysis. Like I've been using a tool called Ask Edith a little bit to generate SQL for me so that I can do data analysis a little bit. I, I never learned SQL. It's something I've been procrastinating learning for years and I finally procrastinated long enough that AI solved the problem for me. But it's really cool to be able to just type natural language queries and have it spit out some SQL codes that I can wrangle data a little bit more easily. And then within the port codes, there's, there's so much variety. Like some of our companies have such a huge opportunity to either crush it with AI or be disrupted by AI. And I think they're all pretty on top of that. And then there's some where it's like, yeah, like it, it should probably be incorporated in the workflow, but it's not going to really meaningfully change how people interact with the product. Yeah. SQL. Why does a marketer need to know how to create SQL? Sometimes it's easier than doing stuff just with a spreadsheet. And oftentimes, too, I would be pretty interested in understanding a lot of like product interaction stuff that is basically just available as SQL queries, especially if you're trying to match, you know, certain product level data with billing information or, you know, ARR or like win rates and opportunity conversion rates and things like that. Okay. All right. Well, last question for you guys. I've learned a ton. So this was really, really helpful for me. And, and I'm sure a lot of people are listening to this, got a lot of value from it. And uh, I want to ask you a question to ask all the guests. What is something that you guys have purchased recently where you felt you had a kick-ass experience with and what was so great about it? It's terrible, but I want to say the last time I renegotiate our metadata deal with you, Olivier. I feel like that's cheating, so I'll have to come up with another one. That was terrible? <laughs> no, that was a good one. That was a good one. I, I become friends with a lot of people that I do business with. And the benefit for you know my new friends is that they can always get a good deal. I do ask things in return, obviously, because I'm a really good salesperson. But if I can give somebody a discount and get access to 
things I didn't have access to before approving that discount, that makes sense to me. But it's all about relationships, right? We're all, you know, if you're in sales, you're selling to humans and you've got to figure out what they want. And if you can figure that out and you can be likable and add value, it's likely you can become friends. And so, well, thank you, James, for saying that. Brendan, you've never bought anything from me, so you're going to have to come up with something else. <laughs> I mean, I think the... What's like a great buying experience? I mean, we're we're leveraging a lot of APIs for the four different LLMs, and we're you know business users of a lot of these tools. They're all amazing buying experiences because I don't have to talk to anyone, and I'm, I am spending real money with OpenAI and Anthropic, Hugging Face, like all of these um, companies that help us with text imagery and helping us build our our own juice on top of them. I will say, I think it's relevant. We were recently in the process of uh, figuring out our SOC 2 compliance, I would say six months ago. Mm. All these products are virtually the same. It's really hard for me to figure out which one to use. So the sales process actually was the one, like how they ran the sales process was who won the deal essentially. One company, sent me these, you know, long emails with like, you know, 50 case studies that were not relevant. Every G2 award put me in sequences as a, like, as a person who had already talked to them. Wait, they put you in sequences like after a, a meeting? Sequence. Oh my gosh. If you're a salesperson and you're doing that, you are shitting yeah. yourself in the And plane. so the other company, so virtually the same product, AE sent me a loom with a quick demo and, you know, we set up a, we set up a call to go deeper deal was done in, you know, two weeks. All right. Well, let's give a shout out to that company. <laughs> no, I, I, I can't, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to name names. Because... Well, you're, you're not going to talk smack about the company that did a, you know, a sequence, but I, all right, that's fine. Um, check out, check out Vanta. They're, uh, they're, they're pretty good for uh, SOC 2 compliance. Yeah, yeah, they're they're definitely up there. There's several vendors. I have personally uh, purchased Drata twice. I've had a great experience. Built some relationships there, and so um, obviously, again, right, the value of relationships. Um, I didn't have to deal with you know a junior AE sending me sequences. Yeah, exactly. All right. Cool beans. All right, guys. Well, this was uh, really fun for me and really good to see you guys and, and learn about um, you know, the way that you guys are, are working on your projects right now. Is there anything that you guys want to promote um, as we end the pod today? Something you're working on or event coming up? Absolutely. Absolutely. I say if anyone wants to check out a new storytelling platform, check out journey.io, sign up for free. Uh, and I'd love, I'd love your feedback on it. All right. That's awesome. Look at that free software. I, I really think there's something to it. Yeah. Soon, soon we'll have a test box integration and you could just try it through them. That, that would be great. I think, uh, we can definitely make that happen. Um, I love to, it's easier for us to integrate with companies that already have a PLG motion, but sales led companies are the companies that see the most value super quickly. I'm essentially saying PLG in a box and they're like, yes. My CEO keeps talking about PLG. Yeah. <laughs> you can yeah, solve it for me. 100% close. I, I hope to see Gong, Outreach, and all the sales tech tools use something like TestBox. Because in the past, I remember having to talk to like 17 SDRs to get a demo. So, Yeah, well, we're, we're in talks. So hopefully I'll, I'll be able to uh, do a good yeah, job. You're there. pretty good at your job. So I, I, I bet you will. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, um, 
have a wonderful day. Thank you for your time. And we'll catch you on another episode pretty soon. Yeah. Ciao. Thanks for having us. Smash that quota. Build a better future for software buyers.